Our meditation for this 19th Sunday after Trinity is on our epistle reading. Hear the word of our Lord from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me be humble for a moment and admit that the manuscript I wrote for this homily was absolutely awful. I'm talking just trash. I will not get into the details, but... Suffice it to say that when I looked over it yesterday and this morning, a sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach told me that I would be disqualified from the office of pastor if I preached on it. Therefore, I'm going to present on VeryLutheran.biz the basic outline of some of my notes, a general thesis concerning the text for today, and now I'm putting it together here on audio as something of an improvised sermon. My apologies, sometimes this happens to the best of pastors. 14-15 hours of work down the toilet. With that said though, on our text for today, have you noticed the contrast? St. Paul says in the 25th verse, Having put away falsehood, he speaks to believers who no longer hold to false religion. God, in his grace, has brought St. Paul's audience to the Christian faith, and thus he has led them to salvation. But for any new believer, there is the question, what now? Okay, I believe in Jesus Christ. What now? Well, okay, I get baptized. Okay, well, what now? Well, now I'm catechized. So I understand basic dogma, what God has done for me, who this God is. Okay, what now? The letter to the Ephesians answers that question. And here in our passage, St. Paul takes things back a few steps and says, You were one way. And you shouldn't be that way anymore. You should be this way. Your behavior should be changed. And he sets up two trains of thought. How the Ephesians were, 
and indeed how all of us were before we became believers, and how we should be. In verse 25, put away falsehood. 28, no longer steal. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. He summarizes this in verse 27 with, give no opportunity to the devil. And by opportunity, we mean room for the devil, a place for him to dwell in our hearts which indeed grieves the Holy Spirit who dwells with us since the moment of our baptism. So there is a way that we were when we were non-believers, and a way that most of the world is today. They live in falsehood. They dwell in their anger forever. They steal. They covet. They speak with corrupting talk. Whether that is disgusting, ugly, perhaps hedonistic talk, or corrupting talk in terms of subversion. Yes, subversion is a sin. Anything from filthy language to slander to subversive activities is corrupting talk to St. Paul. And all of it grieves the Holy Spirit. It makes God sad when people do these things. We worship a God who is angry with sin, who hates sin. But when you and I, even as believers, sin against our Lord, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Forgive the speculation, but when the book of Revelation says all the tears are going to be wiped away, should we really be surprised if some of those tears are from our Lord himself? Does it make us confused that God can be sad about things? But he is. And when you and I engage in bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and slander, throwing tantrums and making enemies without a good cause, it makes God sad. And that's our fault. I know that there's going to be some high-minded, theologically-brained individual that's going to go, Excuse me, but God is impassable. He doesn't actually feel these emotions, except that the Bible says he does. And yes, impassibility is a true doctrine, but not in the sense that God has no emotions whatsoever. Heaven forbid! Do you want God loving you? Well, don't let your high-minded theology try to negate the fact that he loves you, that he actually cares for you and cherishes you. But there's going to be another person listening to this who says, Oh, but I'm angry. God should be happy that I am angry. God should love my anger. Don't you tell me that it makes him sad. God is angry all the time, and it's a righteous anger, and I'm right there wrong. Don't you understand how bad you are? Thank you for revealing to me your real God, your anger, your bitterness, and your wrath when you make statements like that to me. Yes, 
anger by itself is not a sin. There is such a thing as righteous anger. Do you know the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger? Righteous anger doesn't stick around. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, St. Paul says. Christians do not hold grudges. If you hold some grudge and every single morning you are just angry as all get out and it turns into malice, your anger is going to become unrighteous anger, which justifies sin to the person who is angry. An unrighteous anger says it is okay for me to do unjustified bad things to these people because they did bad things to me. I know. I'm going to take something they said out of context, and I'm not going to ask questions and find out for myself. I'm immediately going to go on the attack, because what matters right now is defeating them, destroying them, making sure their face is ground into the dirt and their skin is ripped, their reputation ruined. This man sinned against me and against God, and he deserves hell, and I'm going to make sure that I'm the one to bring it to him. That is unrighteous anger. It's sinful anger to the point of malice. This is why St. Paul tells us to remove all malice from ourselves. The Christian has many enemies, but they should not be enemies because the Christian decided that they were enemies. This is most certainly true, as St. Paul writes in Romans 12:18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do you want to make God sad? Then go ahead and ignore this. Do what you can to declare people your enemy and seek out to destroy them and all of your malice and vengeance and wait for God's sorrow over what you are doing to become anger at you leading to your discipline and if you do not repent, damnation. Now this is important because God forgave you. To decide you are malicious against somebody is to say that you don't believe Jesus forgave you. It must not be that important to you that Christ bled for your sins. Grieving the Holy Spirit of God is not a big deal to the malicious man because they don't care that they were sealed for the day of redemption. Their personal grudge is more important to them than what God has done for them. They're not willing to let go. But thanks be to God that he tells you you can let go. Over eternity, 10,000 years from now, 15,000 years from now, a million years from now, in glory with our Lord Christ, do you think that your current temporal enemies or conflicts or anything that you felt you needed that would cause you to be greedy and steal or slander somebody, is that going to matter a million years from now? Not in the slightest. Christ says that those who believe in him and are baptized shall be saved. You have eternal life in Jesus. You can let go. Now, the Christian does have things in this life that he or she can do 
that do matter a million years from now. When St. Paul says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another, speaking the truth increases, enhances the bond that brothers and sisters in Christ have with one another. Speaking the truth can turn somebody away from hell. It can save somebody's soul. Praise God, then, that this leads to maybe getting even more brothers and sisters in the family of God. When he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need, God likes to reward the generous man. If you give to those in need, will not God give to you? And won't the things that he gives to you last longer and be better into eternity? St. Paul says we shouldn't have corrupting talk coming out of our mouths, but that which is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. God's grace pouring forth from your mouth as you build somebody up, turning them away from sin and towards faith informing them of the dangers out there, whether that's false doctrine or their own sin, entrapping them, we impart God's grace by this kind of speech that builds up. Beloved, we have an opportunity, being informed by this passage, to do things and to say things that really matter now, next week, next year, in the next 10 years, in the next 100 years, or 1,000 years, or million years, the things that we do that build people up, that strengthen the bonds of Christians, that share with Christians, these things matter because they are so good. Let us not hold on to our own grudges, and let us not hold on to our sinful attitudes and unrighteous anger. To the contrary, if you have an enemy, if you have somebody that does something so bad to you, forgive them. You don't have to be best friends with them. In fact, speaking the truth to your neighbor, you can warn people about them. So long as you are not violating the Eighth Commandment. You don't have to be obsessed with this person or always angry at them. You can avoid them, disassociate with them. You can say, I want nothing to do with you. I know what you did, and I know you're not changing. I forgive you, but I'm going to do my own thing. That's part of why the catacomb synod exists. Because we see the evil of subversive teachers trying to destroy Lutheranism, and we say, all right, that's the way it's going with these church bodies. We're just going to do our own thing now, and we're going to stick with Jesus as close as we possibly can. Rather than obsessing over false teachers and trying to destroy their reputations, destroy them, we can calmly say, that's not in the Bible. All right, well, um, I forgive you, but I'm not going to have anything to do with your church body. <laughs> Instead, we're going back to the catacombs. We're going to schism now and avoid the rush. And by the grace of God, he sees these things that are good for the real unity of his body here on earth, and he rewards it. By the grace of God who has saved us, we can let go. 
and praise him for the freedom that he gives us on account of that. Now the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.